Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. We're starting a new series. And the series is going to be focusing on the next several weeks over the mission statement of the Global Methodist Church, because that is going to be part of what shapes and continues to form who we are and um, guides and directs us as we move forward. Um, and so here's the mission, mission statement. To make disciples of Jesus Christ who worship passionately, love extravagantly, and witness boldly. And so that's what we're called to do. I think as a church, that's what we have been doing. But this is just another way to kind of frame that and, and, and use that as a guiding principle in, in our conversations and our decisions and in our prayers. And it's something that we do corporately and individually. So we're going to talk about worship this Sunday on a personal level, next week on a corporate level. And then we're going to talk about that loving extravagantly, what that means individually and as a church, and to witness boldly as individuals and as a church. Because we can't do those things as a church if we're not doing them in our own lives as well. And so that corporate and that individual is really important for that. But there's one thing I want to draw your attention to because I think it's really important. It's easy to get caught up in those, those three, three statements there. But the beginning of that mission statement is so important. To make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is what drives all of those things that's what makes all those things possible is through Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are able to worship passionately, love extravagantly, and witness boldly. And so when we experience those things, when we have that transformation in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives, then we are able to make disciples and to go from there. So what does it mean for worship, passionate worship to be a part of our lives? When my, my brother, who's five years younger than me, and I don't think he's probably listening today because I think he's working, so I can share this pretty freely, but he would, he would not disagree with anything that I'm about to say. He's five years younger than me, and I distinctly remember growing up, he did not like to sing, did not like it at all, to the point when he was in fifth grade, when they had the fifth grade program, his teacher called and said, everyone is in the fifth grade program except for Trent. Um, won't do it, refuses to sing. So my brother did the curtain, and that was his job that day. We all have our gifts and, and things that we should live into, and that is apparently my brother's. He got a standing ovation. Um, we all, the whole family went to go see him pull the curtain. Um, <laughs> but I also remember about that time, and he may have been a little bit younger. I don't remember the exact order of these things, but I remember sitting at the dinner table one night and him asking, I think he was closer to like eight or nine when he asked this. I was like, do you sing in heaven? And my mom's like, yeah, I'm, I think they're singing in heaven. He was like, not sure I want to go there then. 
we didn't really have an alternative for him. <laughs> so I think theologically he's probably worked that out now. But um, <laughs> I think that sometimes we think, we limit ourselves to thinking of worship as that singing and dancing before the Lord that we read about in the Psalms and we hear about and we experience and we talk about. But worship happens on so many different levels and in so many different ways. It happens in the things that we do inside these walls and it happens in the things that we do outside of these walls. Our scripture today is Luke 2, 22 through 35. And I'm gonna have you stand for the reading of God's word today as you are able. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul as well. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm going to refer back a lot to Simeon in this, in this sermon and as we go through this today, because I think he's a wonderful example of that individual worship. He's described in scripture as being righteous and devout in all aspects of his life. And so he has this, these individual things that he does, the way he lives his life on the everyday and then he also, the experiences that he has and comes together with his community in the temple and experiences and worships God in that circumstance as well. But it's because of his personal worship that his heart recognizes who Jesus is and then worships him when Jesus is in his midst. And then you have the family of Mary and Joseph who were there as well. They were also obedient in all aspects of their life. And so they responded to that by coming to the temple and bringing Jesus there. And they were listening to God's direction. And in the midst of everything that was happening, they prioritized that worship by presenting Jesus to God in the temple with their community around them as well. When I think about personal worship, one of the scriptures that has guided me and been probably if I had to pick a life verse, this is probably it. Um, it is the way that, especially in my adulthood, that I have approached things and used it to shape every day of my life. And it's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. One of the reasons I, that scripture has been so influential and so meaningful to me is because it describes the everyday. And it describes all the ways that we are called to surround ourselves with God. To constantly be in his presence and to have not only our steps, but when we lie down at night, that our homes are constant reminders of who God is, that we are surrounded in his presence when the doorways are marked so that as you come and go, as you come back into that home, you're reminded to, be, to live in obedience to God, and as you go out into the world, you're reminded of that as well. And there's just something about that that has helped me to understand and to look at kind of the mundane things of life and to see the way that God works in those things. It's in the running of errands. It's when you're sitting in line in carpool. It's when you're, if you're a student, when you're doing homework, you're waiting in the lunch line, going in between classes. It changes what it means to wash dishes to do the yard, and to go to work every day. It changes the meaning of everything when that is transformed into an act of worship. Someone in Moms on the Grow said a couple of months ago that she doesn't wash dishes because she loves to wash dishes. She washes dishes because she loves the people who are going to use them. When we let God's love flow through us and the way that we serve and approach and go out our day and turn those everyday things into acts of worship, then it transforms them. And it transforms them into something meaningful because of the way that God's love flows through us because it's God's love that ultimately gives those things meaning. And the way that love flows through us and it transforms and impacts the lives of the people who surround us. I kind of joked in the first service, not a big fan of cleaning toilets, (laughs) but it's one of those necessary things that has to be done in life. And I don't do it because I like it, but I do it because I love the people who live in my home. And so it's that idea of transforming the mundane and the ordinary and the sometimes gross parts of life that we all have to be a part of and transforming them into something holy. And it's through worship that they're transformed from the mundane to the holy. I'm gonna do a quick history of worship here. So if you have your, if you're taking notes, I'm gonna try to keep it. In the first service, I think I did under two minutes. I'm going for shorter this time even. So here it is, history of worship covering several thousand years. Abraham, he was wandering out in the desert. He built altars offered sacrifices any time he encountered God. That was worship. And then we have Moses, who built the tabernacle. 
and then shared all the laws and the, um, the ways that you were to not only worship within the tabernacle, but the, the ways that Israel was supposed to order and live their lives outside of that tabernacle as well. Acts of worship. Solomon built the temple so that they could pursue that in a permanent place. After the exile, the temple was rebuilt. Through all of that, God had been shaping and teaching his people and taught them what worship was supposed to look like. And at no point did it end with just that location of worship. It always spread out into their lives. And then we have in the New Testament, Acts 2, verse 42. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Worship. So there you have it. There's a couple of thousand years of worship right there in all different forms and ways. But ultimately, what is at the center of it did not change. Listening to God's word and prayer and sacrifice constitute the essence of worship. And that worship encompassed the entirety of one's life when that life was lived in obedience to God. And that is the same thing that we are called to as well. So we have these different components of worship, just as my brother had to learn that the only way to worship, hopefully, is not just through singing. Um, we tend to think of it that way. We tend to think through singing, or um, you even have David playing instruments and tambourines, and, and that's this very outward show of our praise, and that is so important and can be a part of the way that you, that you praise and the way that you worship passionately. For those introverts in the room, this is your list. <laughs> so, these are the components we're going to talk about of worship. And I think the reason why there are so many things that we need to learn about worship is because it was meant to encompass our entire lives, not just a part of it. So first, we have confession. Confession becomes an act of worship because it recognizes who we are as sinners and that we are in need of God's grace. It recognizes our need for God. And then we have lament. And that's an act of worship because it recognizes the distance between where we are now and what we know it's supposed to be. That there is a distance between the way the world is operating right now and the way it should be. I kind of see confession as us bringing our sin before God. And lament is that it's us bringing the sin and brokenness of the world before God. There are a multitude of times in our lives when we see and experience the world around us in a painful way that makes it clear that the world is not as it should be. And we live in that paradox of Jesus has come and he has overcome death and sin, but the promises of God are not yet completely filled, fulfilled. And then when we recognize that, when we give words or tears, we're acknowledging that distance. And we acknowledge that we can't overcome that distance. Just as when we confess our sin, we're acknowledging that we can't overcome our own sin. 
And then we have praise and all those ways that praise takes form. That can be through music and art. It can be through um, fellowships and gatherings. There's so many beautiful ways that that can happen. But it's that response that comes from inside us that's a response to God's character and his saving acts. It's that part of us that just bubbles out when we start to really understand who God is. What else could our response be when we start to truly understand that the God of the universe sent his only son to die on, suffer and die on the cross to be raised three days later so that we could experience new life in relationship with Jesus Christ? How can our hearts be filled with anything but joy and praise and peace? So in order to worship passionately, you have to know whose you are. And with that assurance comes true praise. It comes passionate praise and worship. Without that assurance, it's just an act and a display of what we think it should look like. And then there's thanksgiving. And that's how we show our gratitude for what God has done. Not just through salvation, but through his mighty acts, his provision, his miracles, his faithfulness, and his unending love. It's a long list. And when we recognize that, when we're keeping that in the forefront of our mind, when we're seeking to see that in the world, it changes how we see everything. And then there's adoration. It's that contemplating and lauding God for who he is. I started teaching last week the KMC 101 class, and our first class is on the Trinity. So I was doing some prep for that, and in that, I came across some, a writing. I can't remember who the author was now. It was in one of the books I was looking at. And it talked about how love is eternal because God didn't create love, just like he didn't create the Trinity. The Trinity in and of itself is eternal, it is love because God is love. So love through the Trinity has always existed and love will always exist for all of eternity because God is eternal. And I don't know what it was about that, but for the past two weeks, it has just been with me. And it pops into my head during different times of the day when I'm doing things, when I've been taking walks, just when I've been doing other things as well. And in those moments of contemplation, there's just a moment of awe. There's a moment of the recognizing the extent and the beauty and the reassurance of God's love. It's something about contemplating on God's love that always has been and always be, will be, that changes everything about whatever moment I am in at that time. And that moment then becomes an act of worship. So God wants us to participate in that. You'll notice earlier who was not on my list when I gave my little history of worship. And that was Adam and Eve, and so we're gonna talk a little about, about that in a minute, but I want you to keep that in the back of, back of your mind as to why they might not have been included in this, in that original list. 
But passionate worship is our response to and our acknowledgement of who God is and our relationship to him. In all the types of worship that I just mentioned, we worship a God that is so big that it requires all aspects of our hearts and our lives, and God wants nothing less. It's what happens when we have moments of clarity and the Holy Spirit reveals God's grace and love and righteousness and the understanding and depths of God's love just takes our breath away in that moment. Because the God of the universe knows your name and his son died for your sins so that you can experience new life in him. That is passionate worship. That is what Simeon experienced and knew. It's what happens when we feel alone or broken, when we feel shameful or weighed down by our own sin, when we feel unseen, unloved, and unrepairable. When we seek God's face, when we lay that brokenness at the foot of the cross, at the foot of the cross where Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, all of that becomes an act of worship. All of that brokenness and sin is transformed. And our lives are new in Jesus Christ. That is passionate worship. Simeon could see the difference between the way things were and the way he knew they should be. That's confession and lament. It's when we truly let go and renounce our sin and that holds and the sin that holds others' lives as well. There's nothing more beautiful, there's nothing more passionate and worshipful than that. Because worship is our response to the saving acts of God. And once you've experienced that, once you know what that means, then we are called to make disciples of others and to share that extravagant grace. So what does it look like to make disciples who worship passionately? We see it in Simeon. He was devout and righteous. It means that all aspects of his life revolved around God. Remember the verse in Deuteronomy, when you walk, when you lay down, with all your heart, soul, and mind. He worshiped passionately. He was contemplating who God is, and then he recognized him when he saw him. To make disciples who worship passionately, we have to share this part of our lives with them. We have to share the salvation and the grace that God has given to us with other people. Share that story, share that in the way we live our lives. The way that the world sees us is different from the rest of the world. Like I mentioned before, we don't do the things that we do because they're necessarily our favorite things to do when we wash those dishes, when we do those chores, but they're transformed because of God's love. And those mundane tasks are an opportunity to worship and make disciples who worship passionately. In those moments, I'll say this to Ryan, and <laughs> when you're rocking that baby in the middle of the night <laughs> and you want nothing more than for them to please go back to sleep, <laughs> 
we've, as a parent, we're all laughing because we know. <laughs> You're so tired. When you pray over that child, it becomes an act of worship. And rocking your baby to sleep becomes an act of worship. In Acts 2, it's what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to breaking bread and prayers, and they worshiped passionately together. Making disciples and worshiping passionately goes hand in hand because it happens at an individual and intimate level. It's not just when we gather at church on a Sunday morning. It's happening, it happens because God's love changes everything. Everything is transformed by God's love. It transforms the mundane into the holy when our hearts and minds are focused on God. God himself took clay, took dirt, and breathed life into it. Something mundane and ordinary and created us in his image and created us to be in fellowship with him. The reason I didn't mention Adam and Eve earlier in my brief history of worship is because they were in constant worship while they were in Eden. That's what worship was originally designed to look like. Remember in Genesis it describes Adam and Eve as walking in the cool of the evening in the garden with God. That is passionate worship. It's the moments when we were able to be entirely in God's presence and do something as mundane as our evening walk in God's presence. We were created to walk through life in God's presence so that everything we do is transformed into worship. And when our hearts and minds are focused on God, then we are also walking in the cool of the evening with God, and we are worshiping passionately. And so as we go from here today, as we begin to prepare to come to the table for communion, that is an act of worship as well. It's something that we experience on an individual level as a form of God's grace, but it's something that we do in community as well, because we were not meant to do this alone. That we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are formed together so that we can worship passionately as a community, so that we can come together and commune together and have communion together, but then also so that we can be transformed by that personal experience with Jesus. As we begin to, to prepare our hearts for this and think about it, I want that to be your prayer today, is how can God take the most mundane parts of your life and how can he turn those into worship? What do you need to lay at the foot of the cross in your perfect sacrifice? Because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice so that you can experience that new life in him. Mm -hmm.